This podcast is a production of TSA Artswatch. As students, it's easy to feel disconnected from our teachers' personal lives or to believe that they ever existed outside of these walls at all. Picturing our teachers as high school students is even more difficult because we experience life in high school daily. We already know all of the frustrations. However, we lack the ability to comprehend that our teachers and the adults in our lives have already experienced all the same things, sometimes at even more extreme degrees than we ourselves have ever encountered. Hi, my name is Maya. My name is Lucas. And we'd like to welcome you to this year's first episode of the TSA Beat. I was like I am now, but with less practice. I was little. I was physically small in high school. <laughs> called me Little Justin, which is my first name for some reason. And I was probably about a foot shorter than I am now. And I had long blonde hair. And I was very thin, like 100 pounds maybe. I liked music a lot. I liked old music in high school. I was very interested in like late 60s music. I dressed in clothes that I got from the thrift store mostly. At that time you could go and find like glorious vintage shirts from Salvation Army for like two bucks. That was my vibe. I don't think I've actually changed at all since high school. I'm still kind of a petulant child. You know, I don't think I've changed at all. Um, I think maybe I didn't wear a lot of suits then. I think I was just kind of a jeans and a t-shirt kind of guy. Didn't get into a lot of the fads, although I do tell my students on a regular basis that I got into like, you know, like Jinko jeans. You can't wear them in the rain because then they get wet and frayed. I would say I was um, a little more disagreeable than I currently am as an adult. <laughs> I, I like to... Um, kind of come back at my teachers a lot, especially in subjects I didn't think were useful to me in my big piano career I was going to embark on. So I would be like, oh, I don't know why I need to know any of this science so I can, you know, or history class. And obviously later I learned I was dead wrong. I always kind of had a tough exterior. Like it always seemed like I was doing my own thing. I was not probably a very understanding or open person. Like a lot of high school students, I had very concrete ideas about what I thought the world was and probably wasn't very empathetic. That if somebody was in a particular situation, they were in that particular situation because they made a lot of bad choices. And what I didn't understand about the world at that time was that there are sometimes things that are out of our control that are already decided for us. Um, whether that be our socioeconomic status, what cultural group we're a part of or not a part of, and um, are we raised in a religious household or a non-religious household. There's just so many different factors that like as a high school kid I didn't get. And now I look at myself and I think, boy, if I had to sit next to me in high school now, I would not have liked me very much. Cared about my grades and my parents, you know, pretty strict about my grades, but I wasn't like 
easy straight A student. Like there were definitely subjects that I really had to work hard at. Anything like scientific or mathematical, like I got decent grades, but I had to like work to get decent grades. My brother on the other hand, like, I mean my brother could do his calculus homework while he was watching sports on TV and like still ace it. And now he's a civil engineer. It makes sense. That was not me. It can be difficult to think about as students how we can and will grow after high school. It's hard to picture ourselves as anything except what we are now. What makes me feel better about the uncertainty that is my future is to get to watch my teachers all day living their lives comfortably. Whether it's seeing them drive out of the teacher lot after school in their car, or eating lunch in their classroom alone, it makes me feel more connected to them as a human being. It makes their lives seem less impossible and abstract. I read a lot, I have my whole life, and I think that's what kind of interested me in the idea of writing, but my writing at that point was, uh, was terrible. Um, and it wasn't really until I got to college and uh, met my, uh, my poetry instructor, Tim Geiger, at college that I really got serious about writing. Before that, it was just kind of, I liked the idea of being a writer. I liked like um, reading the beats. I liked the idea of writing songs, but I just could not make that happen. I thought that was really difficult at the time. My sophomore year of high school, we went on a field trip to Sauter Village, which is a public museum in Archbold, Ohio. It's a living history museum. They were like, don't split up from your group, don't leave your group, all the very classic stuff. And the first thing I did was break away from my group. I went into their HR department and I was like, I want to work here. This is a really cool, mu cool museum. And they were super excited to have a high school student who was like, I want to work in a museum. So they hired me that summer and I started working at Sauter Village and I worked there um, my sophomore year of high school all the way through, I think probably my sophomore year of college. As I was going through that by my senior year, it was like down to the wire, you have to make a choice. And I was like, well, I really like public history and I like giving tours at this museum, so maybe I should go for public history. And that's what led me to go to school for historic preservation. I think I had it narrowed down. I wanted to be a teacher. I didn't know what grades I wanted to teach, but I knew it was gonna have to be either math or English because I wasn't, I, I don't know that, like, I, I was good at both of those. Um, and ultimately my English teachers in high school helped me to realize I was gonna be an English teacher. But I didn't know like what grades I wanted to teach until like my senior year when I had to go to sixth grade camp as a camp counselor and then I knew that middle school was out. Maybe not middle school because I've taught middle school here but like I couldn't do sixth grade. I, after a week with sixth graders in a cabin, I couldn't do it anymore. I had a toy piano that I played with all the time when I was little and my dad bought my mom a piano as a gift when I was seven um, because she played piano. And I guess I was just always at it, and so they decided they would let me take piano lessons. And so I started, and I never stopped. I actually got a lot out of some courses in high school. Um, I took a music theory course, which was really life-changing for me, um, to learn about not just how to play an instrument, but how music works. I took a uh, independent study science course where I learned a little bit about like 
relativity and stuff like that. So the actual content was pretty interesting to me sometimes. So I started private lessons when I was in second grade, and it's really weird. I took private lessons at a place called Dave's Drum Depot, and there's this big, scary dude with a low rumbly voice who owned the place, Mr. Dave Gerke. So Mr. Gerke would not remember me, even if he claims he does, there's no way he does. And so I was taking drum lessons at Dave's Drum Depot when I was in second grade. And now I am a co-worker with Mr. Gerke. The emphasis on popularity is not as prevalent at TSA as one might expect. Or perhaps it is, but it looks slightly different than other area schools. To be popular, by definition, is to be well-liked. But we all know that it is more often than not based on other criteria. I think what was important to me in high school was achieving this sort of image. I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be in that circle of people because somehow I felt like that's how um, it would be if I was a professional pianist, that I would need that kind of status amongst my peers. And now I realize that the status I need amongst my peers is my reputation and my reliability and my uh, the work I do that they don't watch me do is how I create that. You know, you become mature, more and more mature, and um, you just learn that popularity isn't what's important. Reliability and reputation is what is important. And, and you'll be popular with people if they can count on you, you know, to do the job they've hired you to do. or to be the friend they've needed you to be, you know? It's all relative. I don't think I was, I was disliked, really. I didn't feel bullied or anything like that. I just don't think other people quite knew, like, what to do with me, really. You know what I mean? So I, I wasn't particularly on anybody's radar. I had a core group of friends that I spent a lot of time with, you know, and uh, we hung out together. And then there were other kids who were sort of like, you know, ancillary to that. I did like shows, like we had a student written show called uh, Shenanigans and I participated in that both as a writer and a performer. And so I met a lot of people through that. I went to a Toledo public high school, so I mean, it was a lot bigger and people dropped out, you know, but there was like not really another place to go, so. Um, unless you unless you dropped out or went to jail or something, you know, it was the same kids you came in with. And people did drop out and go to jail. But. We all know the classic teen movie high school party tropes. People jumping off balconies into swimming pools, unrequited loves being realized for the first time, predictable bullies, and unlikely heroes. Obviously, reality rarely measures up. However, they are a very formative part of growing up for many, for better or for worse. Were our teachers party animals? Wallflowers? Something in between? The answers may surprise you. Yeah, I went to parties sometimes. Uh, I don't know how big the parties were. I mean, you know, we would gather at people's houses and stuff like that. You know, sometimes the parties were bigger. I always got the impression that there were probably bigger, wilder parties that I wasn't going to. I didn't like drink or take drugs in high school, so I think, you know, I didn't go to like those type of, I mean, well, I don't know, I mean, <laughs> 
I guess I went to parties where those things were going on, but that wasn't really my vibe at the time. Yeah, of course, I went to parties, but I, I mean, I don't know, I lived my life. I had an okay, I had a good time. I, you know, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm trying, I'm really, really, really trying to be diplomatic about this answer, you know? I, uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty average. I wasn't crazy. I didn't, like, go totally crazy. Did I ever throw any? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Oh, throw any parties. Oh. <laughs> I thought, I thought, I thought that was, I thought that was like some lingo. Be like, you ever throw any? I don't know. I never threw any parties. I was not that bold. Um, my brother did. It was when my parents were taking me to college. They were driving me to Boston. And I think as soon as he knew that we crossed state lines, he just called everybody. And uh, yeah, there was just no turning back. We were like in the middle of Pennsylvania. He knew that he was good to go. <laughs> And my parents did not find out until like till like 10 years after it happened. If you got on my bad side or I was irritated or just not about, and maybe sometimes it's even like choices that people were making where things were changing. Like, oh, these people are starting to use drugs or alcohol. You know, sometimes I get viewed as like this curmudgeon guy who's just anti that stuff. In a military family, many times you are. Like there were severe consequences, right, for me, depending on like how I screw up. So, you know, in the military, it's kind of, this is the way it is. You get up at this time, you do it this way, and being raised in a military family, that's just the way it is. And I've always really established that it's sometimes a little hard for me to coexist in the civilian world uh, because people don't realize often the freedoms that we take for granted sometimes. You know, like, as a kid on a military base, the national anthem played every morning and the world stops in that moment. So for anybody to go against the grain, well, honestly, it just never happened. So I met my wife in high school and um, we started dating when we were pretty young. And we, we were at a concert and we weren't dating at that time, but I very much wanted to uh, date my wife. And, I mean, she wasn't my wife then, obviously. We weren't even dating, but... Uh, so there was like a table that was handing out neon wristbands, and I didn't know what that was, right? I was like 15. And we were like curious about it, like, oh, what's going on over here? And I was like, I'll, I'll check, you know? And so I went over to the table, and for some reason, like, the tone of my voice did not match my intention at all. And I was like, what's this about? Like I was like the FBI shaking them down or something. And I'm like this 15 year old kid. And the guy just looked at me really confused and was like, it's a wristband for buying alcohol or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was it. TSA, as we all know, doesn't have a comprehensive culture of sports. However, there are many among us that choose to pursue them elsewhere. After all, it is a noble endeavor that teaches one many things. Teamwork, cooperation, compromise, testing limitations, and setting personal goals. How did our teachers fare in the wild world of athletics? I, uh, I, I ran track, I ran long distance races, so um, I ran the mile and I ran the mile relay. So one of my greatest achievements as a sports person was a two mile race that I ran against another school and it was one other person and I beat him. 
Here's the thing about sports is that like I was never like that good at them, but I always enjoyed playing them. I'm not like the worst at them, but I was never like the first one to get picked on the playground. Like recess football games, I was like usually the last or the second to last kid to get picked. But you know, whatever, man, that's just reality. I can can play guitar better than those guys. I didn't hate school. Like, my, I liked going, the classes were fine. I liked the teachers. We, I, I like, I got a good education. It was just like, if you've never been to a rural school, you have no idea what that atmosphere is like. Like, it's, it's weird. Like, it's, it's like, on one hand, you've got this group of people who thinks that like, your athlete, we've had like one famous football player from the school in the entire history, but then, so that means that, f that football is like the biggest thing on the face of the planet there. And it like, I don't know, I, I didn't engage with the school culture. Like the, the school itself, the teachers were great. I had a great time with all the teachers. Um, and so that's why I think I went into education. But I hated that environment. Eventually, high school comes to a close. We all must move on in one way or another. Some find it easier than others. Some of us are bound to cling to our glory days, imagining this as our social and personal peak, while for others, and seemingly most of us, this is when our lives truly begin to take shape. We don't often think of our teachers going through the trials and tribulations of coming of age, as we're currently experiencing, but they most certainly did. The more their stories unfolded, the more and more apparent it becomes that the cycle continues, and we're more alike than we realized. I remember like just like not knowing how to do certain things like at the bank or like whatever, you know. I remember my parents just kind of talking me through it over the phone and then I just had to go do it. There's nobody around to like hold my hand through anything. And that was great cuz it you acclimate, you get used to it and then you just start taking care of stuff on your own. When I was in grade school, I started saving up to buy a house. I don't even know where that comes from. That's, that's pretty intense. By high school, I was already purchasing furniture that was fairly expensive. That I was like, I'm investing in this now because someday I'm gonna have a house and I'll be able to furnish it. My aunt was the treasurer here for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And um, she told me that they needed subs. So I just started subbing here one day and, that's, and I haven't left. That was 2012. My first time subbing here, I was here for like two or three days in a row in Miss Scott's class, who she taught English. She was a senior English teacher. And I thought, okay, I can do this. You know, it's not that big of a deal. And then the day after that assignment was over, I subbed for Tolson. And I just was like way out of my element. You know, there were kids head standing on chairs and stuff. And as somebody who just didn't have that in high school, all the bells were going off in my head, like, oh my God, somebody's gonna get hurt. I'm gonna have to fill out an incident report. I'm gonna get fired from this job, you know? Um, but then they didn't, and it was fine. I loved college, I, I really did. Although I have to say, like, um, and I remember college very fondly, but like the first two years of college were kind of just like high school too, maybe. Um, but where I really came alive in college is I took a, a poetry workshop um, with Tim Geiger and um, we had to bring in, you know, stuff that we wrote every week and we would workshop it. We'd get evaluated by other people. And that was amazing to me, right? I met a good, good friend of mine, Ryan, in that workshop. He absolutely eviscerated the first poem that I brought in. And uh, he was right. <laughs> and uh, 
I got to know him and I, I met a bunch of friends uh, through through that guy. So that's where I met like my adult friends, like people that I'm still friends with today and also really kind of got plugged into the Toledo art scene, the Toledo music scene. Um, that's when I had like a band that was very active, um, just living on my own and also had access to professors that were really passionate about their content. I remember before I left for college, the one thing that my dad was really worried about was my degree of like street smarts, you know, like, cause I didn't have any, like I grew up out in Oregon, Ohio. I went to like a really privileged school, you know, like I was pretty sheltered, you know, and all of a sudden I was going to be by myself in like a big city with a big city environment, you know. I remember my dad was concerned about that, not, not really concerned, but he was just like, listen, like this is something that nobody can teach you, you know. You just have to find out. And I remember after my first semester, my parents came out to Boston to like visit me or something. And like they saw me like walking from down the block to like meet them. And I remember my dad was like, you're walking differently, man. You look different. You know, like just the way you hold yourself, the way you like look around. You can, you can tell somebody who's aware of their surroundings and who's not, you know? And that just kind of happens after you live in an environment like that for a while. Best dressed, most outgoing, best to take home to parents, most likely to be president one day, senior superlatives are often a rite of passage that many look forward to. A playful and humorous look at the social hierarchies in which we all lived during that period of our life. Where did our very own TSA faculty members fit in? This is what we found out. So I had to go on Facebook and ask my uh, uh, senior class group, hey, did we have senior superlatives? What were these things? And they're all like, look in your yearbook. And I'm, ah, oh, my yearbook, gosh, I wonder where those are. And so somebody sent me a picture of those two pages. And so weirdly, I forgot I actually was elected most talented, most talented. They invented a category for me uh, at my request, and the category was, in the slang of the time, most likely to get bout it with some nachos after graduation. <laughs> but after the actual graduation, we went to Olive Garden, and they had like some Italian nacho situation, which I'm sure was a travesty, and I ordered that. Senior pranks. Have they become better over time, more creative, or are they largely defanged and boring these days? Generations upon generations are fascinated at the senior pranks of the past, and we would be remiss if we didn't ask our beloved TSA staff about their personal experiences with this time-tested tradition. No, we didn't do pranks. I mean, I think somebody like, like did gang graffiti on the side of the building or something like that. Um, but that was about, that was about it. We didn't do anything cool like that. We definitely did, and I don't think we did anything like that cool. I think like we tied a bunch of like teachers' cars together with like saran wrap or something. Or like, is that awesome? It was like something like that. And then we like drew with like sidewalk chalk all over the parking lot and like, I don't know, like, I heard, like, legendary things of, like, old classes, like, releasing, like, chickens in the school, or, like, doing, like, crazy stuff like that, and we didn't do anything near that, but it was, like, okay. 
Yeah. My senior class, we released a greased, and by greased, I mean you would put like Vaseline or vegetable oil all over. We released a greased young pig in the hallways of our school. Again, I'm from a farming community. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, something. And, you know, you look back at that and you go, okay, not necessary. Um, and the poor pig, more than anything, was no doubt scared to death running around inside of a school. But I did not personally get in trouble for it. Um, the senior class got in trouble. So we had, you know, about a week of no extras, no extra activities, no extra time after school. Um, study hall was complete silence for about a week. Um, and of course, the guy and his pals who brought the pig to the school, they, they had, uh, I'm sure, detentions. I, I don't think we got sus anybody got suspended. But. The TSA Beat is a production of Toledo School for the Arts and is available on TSA streaming service ArtsWatch. You can find other TSA productions and performances on ArtsWatch by visiting ts4arts.org. That is ts, the number four, arts.org. Or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or your favorite social media outlets. Special thanks to all of our guests, TSA faculty Mark Allred, Jamie Dowell, Justin Loanker, Lucas Madrazo, and Taylor Moyer. This episode was written and produced by Maya Fillion Ritchie and Lucas Madrazo. Music and score for this episode provided by Lucas Madrazo, Dream Louder, Wildlife Moon, Lauren Balthrup, and Blake Elfring. Thank you so much for listening.